What's up everybody, my name is Jalen and I'm the student director here in Spring Hill. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, I'm so glad that you're here, whether you're in Columbia or you're listening online uh, or you're here in Spring Hill, I'm just so grateful that you've decided to join us for the final installment of our series on the life of Paul. Now the last two weeks, uh, I haven't been up here. It's been Chris and Cheyenne, they have done an amazing job in this series. Um, and, and it's really weird for me when I don't get the chance to, to preach or, or to speak because it's, it typically takes up a lot of my week. Um, in the place that I was coming from in Georgia, I would oftentimes speak somewhere around like 80 times a year because we had a middle school and a high school service separate. So I'm kind of used to in my regular rhythms spending a lot of time um, planning these different talks. And so it was very, it's been very strange to me to, for, to like be able to take a step back and have other gifted people um, who can step in and, and do this and do it really well. And so when I get this extra free time, uh, I'm not really sure what to do with myself. And so over the last month, I found myself watching a lot of cops in my free time. I absolutely love to watch cops. Has anybody ever watched cops in this room? Every hand better go up. Yes, absolutely. And the crazy thing about this is I've been watching it with, with my wife and she watches it with me. She says, there's no way. Is this, is this even real? Like, I, I can't even believe that these people are actually real. And I'm like, yes, trust me, these types of people are very much in the world. They're out there. A lot of us, we have them in our family. We know them personally. Um, it's like these kinds of people who are on these shows, like this is a very real thing, very normal looking people who are often doing very crazy things. And in my watching of this show, um, a, a few things have really like stuck out at me is, is the different types of people that you'll interact with or that you'll see on this show. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through a couple of the people that you're going to find. And you're like, where is this going? It's going somewhere. I promise. OK, the first one is the, the people who like to act really innocent. OK, this, this one is might be my favorite is you, you'll get this type of people who will the, the, the police will find like drugs in a, a purse that says Annie on it. And they'll go, man, what's your name? My name's Annie. And is, is this yours that's in this bag? Well, no, but this purse says Annie and we found it in this bag. Well, I don't know how that got there. I just, and it's like, you're, you're, you're caught. Like at this point, there's no going back and they really think they can lie their way out of it. And it's like, man, I don't really know. They just like almost turn into like little kids, like trying to play as super innocent as they can be. Um, and they think that's going to help their case. And it's always really funny because these people, they have like such innocent look about them. You know what I mean? So now when I'm driving around, I see these regular looking moms, you know, in suburbans and stuff like that. And I'm like, what are you hiding? Like, I'm, I'm convinced that everybody is hiding something somewhere. I mean, it's made me really paranoid. Um, and then the second type of person, and this might be the one that I understand the least, is the big mouth. These are the people who get into a lot of trouble. And they try to get their way out of trouble by insulting the police officers. So it's like, dude, you don't know what you're doing. And they'll have some choice words for them. And you're just like, you're not helping your case at all by insulting the people who are just trying to do their job. <laughs> like you're not doing your, yourself any favors by coming at their necks and just like talking bad about them and insulting them and almost and trying to fight with them. And these people like will run from the police. It's like you are not getting away. Like you're wasting your time. You're adding 10 years onto your sentence every single step that you take trying to run away. It's like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, to insult the police. And then the last one, this one was great, and this one will traumatize you if you ever watch these. I got really curious, so I typed into YouTube, Cops Florida. <laughs> and the ones in Florida, it's like a completely different show. I mean, like it's, it's a completely different world. It's a completely different place. I mean, the people on the Cops Florida shows are something out of a different planet. Like, I've, I've never seen anything like these people in my life. And so I, I went through and I grabbed some headlines. These are in 2019 alone. 
And these are the ones that were appropriate enough for me to share with you, okay? But, but these, I'm going to go through a couple of things that Florida people have been arrested for over the last year, okay? I got a list. Here's the first one. This is the headline, okay? I'm reading a direct headline. Kill them with kindness. Florida man attacks neighbors with machete named kindness, deputies say. Okay, <laughs> second one. Easter Bunny gets in a fight in Orlando, gets arrested. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of, of Easter. Okay, the third one, Florida man caught illegally feeding wild alligator resists arrest. He claims he's a good boy and he just wants some bagels. I'm, I, honestly, that's, it kills me how comfortable these people are. Listen, I don't even like frogs, okay? Much, if you put an alligator in front of me, I'm going to hightail out of this room with, with zero questions asked. Fourth one, a Florida man allegedly drove a stolen Jeep back to the scene of his crime to ask if anybody found his missing cell phone. Not, not necessarily the, the, the most violent thing, but probably not the smartest thing in the world. The fifth one, Florida man calls 911 to brag after fleeing traffic stops, saying, like, what do we even pay you guys for? Like, that's a different type of arrogance. The sixth one, Florida man who allegedly threatened family with Coldplay lyrics in standoff after SWAT promises him pizza. Who in here thinks that they could be convinced into being arrested if, if people offered you enough pizza? Maybe? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it probably would take some hot wings and some pickled sausages to, to draw me in, but it, it, it's teach his own. And the last one, this one is, is probably, I feel like we've all been here before. You know what I mean? This one's relatable. Florida man throws alligator into Wendy's for incorrect nugget amount. Now, now listen, we've all been through and we've all kind of, okay, I ordered 10, 10 nuggets and I only got nine. We've all been a little frustrated, but there's so much that you have to go through to even get to that point. You not only have to go and find an alligator, then you got to pick the alligator up. And then not only do you have to pick the alligator up, you have to get them to open the window. My question is, who is the person that opened the window, seeing a person holding an alligator in their hands, for him to just to throw it in there? Like, could you imagine if you're working drive-thru and somebody, an alligator just lands at your feet? Like, this is a different level, man. Florida is a completely different place. And a lot of these, these things that we've watched or place things that we read, um, people are getting arrested for typically things that they deserve to be arrested for. Um, but if, if you look in scripture in the life of Paul, Paul was arrested simply for just spreading the gospel, right? It's a different era. We're, we're here gathered or you're listening to this and no one is going to be knocking on your doors trying to arrest you for being a part of, of the teaching of the word of God or being a part of a church. Now that does happen in certain places in the world and we pray for those people continually. We're doing this as a church right now, we're praying for these unreached people groups, many of them who if they were caught um, listening to the word of God, they would be arrested, they would get into a lot of trouble. But you and I don't really have a good perspective for that because the very most that you and I can, can do by just spreading the gospel is maybe just get picked on or looked at funny. But we're, we're not going to be arrested for just teaching the Bible and for going through and being missional like Paul was. And so Paul found himself in a place in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was a really, really, really big epicenter of faith. It still is. And, and so he ends his ministry here. And in Jerusalem, there are a lot, a lot of Jewish people. Now this is really important because the Bible's constantly talking about Jewish people, but we don't really understand maybe a lot of us what the difference is between a Jewish person and a Christian. And so there are a lot of complexities to this. But what you essentially need to know is that Jewish people believe the same thing we believe. They just don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so, so pretty much Paul is saying, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. And, and Jews say, well, no, no, he's not. That, that's pretty much where the disagreement is. Again, there's a lot of complexities to that. We can go into that for hours, but that is like the basis of it. And so these Jewish people were really upset that Paul was preaching the gospel, especially in Jerusalem. And so what they did was, was they found out that he was hanging out with a Gentile. Now, a Gentile was essentially a, a lost person. They found out that he was hanging out with somebody they didn't like. 
And so then they found a reason for him to be arrested. Because if you brought a, a Gentile into, um, into the temple, you would be defiling the temple. And thus, that was an, a capital offense. Like you could get in trouble and you could be killed for bringing uh, a Gentile into the temple. And so they were claiming Paul was doing that. Rumors started to spread. Riots were breaking out. And so they had Paul arrested. And so Paul said, you know, I'm a citizen of Rome. Who in here has ever heard of Julius Caesar? Right. He's an extremely famous person in history. He was like a leader of Rome for a long time. People don't realize that a lot of the things that were going on in the Bible at the same time, Julius Caesar was alive. That's really interesting. And so Paul says, I will make my plea to, to Caesar. Like, this is the greatest mashup since, like, the Fairly Odd Parents and Jimmy Neutron. Do y'all remember that? I don't, I don't know if y'all are, y'all are old enough to remember that, but for me, that was like a crazy mashup. But in my head, like, these two worlds are coming together in history. And so Paul says, I'm innocent. Let me make my plea to Caesar. So they put Paul on a boat, and they ship him all the way over to Rome. And they say, we're going to keep you there imprisoned. And Paul was kept there in prison for years. We don't know if he ever got to make his case to Caesar or not, but he was kept in prison for years. He was taken away from his ministry. Paul was spreading the gospel all over. This is important. Paul was spreading the gospel all over, was uprooted, arrested on false premises, and taken away from the place that he could make the most difference in his mind. Now, most of us would find ourselves discouraged, distraught, upset, because we're making a difference. A lot, if, if you've ever moved here before, right, and you, you maybe had some resistance to that with your parents. It's like, I, I have friends here, I know people here, and I'm being taken to a place where I, I know nobody, I know nothing, I don't know any, I don't even know where the closest McDonald's is, like I don't know where anything is here, this is a weird place for me. Paul was in the same area. As he was getting to really sink his teeth into his ministry, he got pulled out of it, which was really difficult. Imagine. Imagine what it's like being in Paul's shoes and you're being ripped away from your ministry. Here's why that's important. Here's what the Bible says. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And here's what the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, he's writing this this letter to to the church in Philippi. Philippi, Sorry, he was writing this this book um, to the people in Philippi. And this is the same book in which he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, all that good stuff. So he's writing this in, in prison. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Read that again. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Notice that he doesn't say just what I did or what Jesus did for me, but he says what happened to me. The thing that happened to me that I couldn't control, that was unfair, God used that still. And what I know for a fact is in a room this size, there are people in this room, you've had things happen to you that weren't fair. You've had abuse that's happened to you that wasn't fair. You've had things that have come into your life that was not fair to you. You have every reason to be upset and frustrated with with these things that are happening to you. But Paul says, even the thing that happened to me, God used that still. Even the things that are outside of God's will, he's still able to look at it and make it bow down in his presence. Even the things that happened to you. Even the things that happened to Paul had to bow down at the feet of Jesus. Even the things that nobody could control, even the things that he wasn't responsible for were still responsible to Jesus. They were still under the authority of Jesus. So you and I can have that same confidence. You and I can can know that even the things that, that are coming against me, even the things that happen to me, not just the things that I do, but the things that other people do to me that aren't fair, God uses that as well. Those things don't have that power over you. You and I can walk in victory 
We can walk in victory knowing that even the things that are happening to us, God is using. Here's, here's what I know for a fact. And, and I'm sure a lot of people in this room who've been through similar things would say the same. Some of the most influential things of my life, things that have shaped me as, um, as an employee of, of a church, as, as a minister, whether it be as a preacher, as a husband, as a son, as a friend, as, as everything. Some of the most influential things that have shaped me weren't things that I did that were impressive, weren't things that other people did that were good for me, but it was things that happened to me that I couldn't control and that hurt me. Those things were, if I had to look and name a top 10 list of things that shaped me, the majority of those would be things that happened to me that I couldn't control. And a lot of you, you're going to have the same testimony. You're going to have the same testimony three or four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years from now, that the things that happened to you were the very things that God flipped on its head and used for his good and for his purpose. Because when you see how God wants to use the things that are happening in your life for his glory, it will change the way that you enter into any season of life because you're no longer convinced and you're no longer waiting on God to, to expose the perfect moment for you. You realize, you realize something very important and that's that God is capable of using all things to work together for his good and for his purposes. Here, here's my bottom line. I want to get into this. I want to give you my bottom line and then we're going to keep going. Your faith will be elevated to another level. When you believe God is ready and willing to move exactly where you are. Let me read that again. Your faith will be elevated to another level when you believe God is ready and willing to move exactly where you are. Regardless of what people have done, regardless of what people have said, God is ready to move exactly where you are. Here's what the Bible says in verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment it's for Jesus. So this imperial guard, they were really influential people. They were really, this is the imperial guard. Like these people were like sinners. I mean, they had so much influence in that era. They had so much influence in that time. And Paul was getting to influence them through something that happened to him. So he was using his imprisonment as a platform not to pout, not to, not to be, be upset with himself or, or, or to enter into a cycle of, of pity, but to say, I'm going to use what's happened to me to glorify Jesus and with the people that it puts me in front of. You have no idea the kind of people that God is going to put you in front of because of the things that happened to you. The people that God is going to put you around. It's not just about a platform. Paul, didn't necessarily, Paul wasn't able to like preach on platforms. It was the people that he was surrounded by. And see, a lot of us we're obsessed with impressing people, right? See, Paul, Paul didn't gain his influence by being really impressive. Paul gained his influence by just being faithful in the place where he was. He wasn't looking to, to like do any big tricks or to like show out or anything like that. He got his influence as a prisoner. The same thing happened in the Old Testament where, where, where we see a prisoner raised. And so you and I, we, we, we don't have to, to be really cool. We don't have to like impress people to really make a difference in their lives for the kingdom of God. You and I can just be faithful where we are, knowing that God is using that. It says in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That my imprisonment is for Christ. And see, you and I, we're, we're always fighting for influence over for the same people, Right. We want to be liked by the coolest people in the room. We want to be liked by the most influential people in the room. But there's a theme throughout Paul and Jesus's ministries that I just can't stop thinking about. And it's, it's the fact that they never were really worried about influencing the most influential people. They were just worried about loving on the person that was directly in front of them. And that made the most difference. 
So some of you, you're, you're fighting to get in with a cooler crowd. You're fighting to be known by more people. And Jesus is saying, why don't you just be faithful to the people who are right in front of you? Because the biggest difference you can make is not making... The, the longest recorded conversation in the Bible was with a woman. And not only was it with a woman, but it was with a Samaritan woman who Jews didn't even like to talk to. It wasn't with a, a really fancy priest. It wasn't with a really famous person. If, if we were Jesus and, and we were like making, if we were making Jesus' itinerary when he came to earth in 2020, we would say, all right, Jesus, you got to go to the White House. You got to meet with the most influential person. Then you got to go, um, we go, you got to go to the Grammys. You got to make yourself known to some really influential people. Then you got to go travel around the world. You got to make yourself known to the really cool and influential people. But when you look at the Bible, Jesus always made the biggest impact by loving on the person who was right in front of them, regardless of their level of influence. So my question is, are you looking over where you are because you don't see it as a big deal? And here, here would be my challenge to you, and maybe you've heard this before in terms of leadership, but I think it applies to our influence. If you are, if you are too big for small people, then you're too small for big people. If you're, if you're too big to love on un, unimportant people, then you are not big enough to love on the really important people. If you think you're really too big for small people, then you're way too small for big people. Because Jesus was the greatest leader and the greatest person at loving people to ever walk the face of the planet. And he was constantly engaging with people who were seemingly unimportant, who were seemingly uninteresting. And so I wonder who in your life, who you have to look around and say, I've been looking over them, but God has put them in my life for a very specific reason and purpose. And he's called me to love on them. And he's called me to engage with them. And he's called me to interact with them. Or maybe you feel that way. You say, I don't feel very important. I want you to know if you don't feel very important, you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus came after. If you feel looked over, you are the exact kind of person that Jesus came after. Jesus isn't waiting on you to be impressive. He's just waiting on you to lean into his presence. Here's what the Bible says in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become more confident in the Lord in my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's imprisonment emboldened him, emboldened others. Sorry, Paul's imprisonment emboldened others. Do you see how Paul's faith made a way for other people's faith. You and I have that same potential and that same capacity for other people to really get faith from us, watching how we are faithful in the midst of our trials. People were emboldened by Paul's faith. They were emboldened by Paul's faith. They were seeing somebody else go before them. And you have that same potential to inspire somebody else through the faith that you show in the midst of adversity. The Bible says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Read that again. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So he's saying they're, they're, using, they're using God as a means to get a leg up on somebody. They're using their faith as a way to make them feel better than somebody. The, 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 their, their entire, the way they see things is, is to be elevated by other people. You see, here's, what, here's what's really interesting about Paul. Paul was rejected by not only the Jewish people, but also the Christians. Christians didn't like Paul at all. Jewish people didn't like Paul at all. He was constantly being rejected by both sides, by, by the big crowds on both sides. And here's what, here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't assume that just because you're rejected by the masses that that means something is wrong with you. Because if there's any indicator in Scripture, in Scripture, it's that the crowd oftentimes doesn't have the appropriate moral compass required to see who is really called to be an active participant in the will of God. The crowd doesn't get to decide who you are. The crowd doesn't get to decide what you influence or who you influence or anything like that. Because Paul, everywhere he turned, the crowd was against him. 
Everywhere he turned, the crowd was against him, and yet he was still able to be used. So let's not, let's not get into this obsession with what the, the masses think, because oftentimes, here's the thing, the masses are wrong. So don't assume that just because somebody has more people that like them, that suddenly makes them better than anybody else. Just because you have more people that approve of you doesn't mean that you are in the right place, because oftentimes people are just wrong. So what are you basing your compass on? What are you basing your compass for approval on? Just because your life doesn't look like the way the crowd wants it to doesn't mean that something is wrong. We should rattle the world a little bit. Now we should be, be eating with sinners and we should be in the midst of people that don't really know Jesus. And, and, and Jesus was with people constantly that didn't know him and he was constantly able to, to be that for, for people and they were able to love on him. But he was never obsessive about gaining their approval or their attention. He just loved them where they were. But see, a lot of us will, will, will say, man, I'm just like, I don't want to be judgmental. So then we camouflage ourselves so much that we can't really tell the difference between us and the world. And so then the question becomes, who's pulling who out of what? Jesus was different enough that people were able to identify him and say, yes, yes, there's something special about him. But he was also able to just influence the people directly in front of him. And here's, here's, here's a, a big deal that I wrote down. There are so many people that are, that are competing for attention and competing for love, but there's not a whole lot of people giving it out. There's a whole lot of people that are, are competing for followers, competing for attention, competing for time, competing for a platform, competing, constantly competing with one another, competing at grades, competing, competing, competing. We're always trying to get a leg up on the people around us, but you rarely see people who are giving out love and giving out affection and giving out grace and giving out encouragement. As believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't work for approval, we work from it. And so because of that, our cup overflows and we can pour into other people because of our overflow. And we can say, I can love you because I've been loved. I don't need your affection, but you know what? Jesus loves me enough that I can love you intentionally and directly and exactly where you are and I can make a difference in your life. I don't have to fight for your love and affection. You don't have to love me, you don't have to like me, but at the very least, I know that I'm called to lean into a relationship with the people around me and say, I'm going to give out love because we have so many people competing for it. But as Christians, we're called to do more than compete for it. We're called to give it out to the people around us. Here's what the Bible says in verse 16. The latter do it out of love. Verse 17. The former proclaim Jesus out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Christians who are talking bad about Paul so that they can mess with him. And then the verse says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So what's more important to you? He says, let's read that again. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul says, I don't care what people have to think about me. If Jesus is proclaimed and he is glorified, hallelujah. So then here's my question to you. Here, this is a big one. If you've tuned out, tune back in because this is the time. What's more important to you, your reputation or God's glory? What's more important to you, your reputation or God's glory? And here's why I ask that. Because your values have everything to do with how you will handle rejection. What your values are has everything to do with how you will handle rejection. If your values are your reputation, how people see you, and it's all about you, then the way you approach people will be all about you. But if your priorities are centered in truth and centered on God, then you're able to take rejection. You're able to take on maybe struggles with, with people and, and the way we interact with people in a different way 
Because Paul was able to say, listen, whether they like me or not, whether I get a good word in, put in for my reputation or not, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to apologize because I know God is glorified. As long as Jesus is glorified, that's what's important to me. Your values will determine how you handle rejection. Let's look at the, the end of verse 18 it says, yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse, let's read verse 20 again. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is, is taking a very bold approach to saying, even with life, even in death, even in both of the most extreme circumstances, I know, I know, that I have a center and I have a foundation that's unshakable. Whether in life, in the most extreme circumstances, or in death, literally my breath is taken away from me, I know that I'm walking in Jesus. I know that I'm walking on a firm foundation. You know, I, I debated on whether or not to talk about what I'm about to talk about, but I feel like if, if we're not talking about it in church, then we don't really, if we can't talk about these things, then, then how can we expect anybody else to? So I, I think we need to be at the forefront of leading in a lot of these conversations. Um, Paul's talking a lot about death and life, and he's saying that even, even in my death, Jesus will be glorified. And a lot of us our age, right, I'm, I'm 25, and so um, I, I've been kind of, you know, hit by this recently as well. But I, the, in pop culture recently, we've had a lot of instances of people passing away younger, right? And I'm thinking particularly um, of Kobe Bryant this past week and of last month, Juice World. Like, you know who Juice World is? Yes, okay, I'm not, I'm not, listen, yes. <laughs> but a, a, a lot of us, we, we see that happening and we, it rattles us to our core a little bit because there are these people that have accomplished so much and it almost feels like they should be immortal. And it almost feels like it shouldn't happen. And it almost makes us evaluate where we are and say, if it can happen to them, then it can happen to me. And it, we, we get this perspective on it to say, even no matter what you accomplished, life is so short and it's so vanishing. And, and it's, it goes by so quick and it can end just like that. And these influential people who are like, who, who are losing, right? It makes us wonder and, and it makes me wonder and I hope it would make you wonder as well. What am I living my life for? Whenever my time comes, which it will come, whenever my time comes, what will be the story told about my life? Because it doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter what, how much people like you. It doesn't matter how popular you are. No one can escape the reality that we're only here for a very short time. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life for something that means something in the long term. I, I want people to be able to look back on, on my legacy and say that I lived my life for something much bigger than me. I lived my life for something that, that made a, a long-term difference in the hearts and lives of people because I was using my life to further the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, even in life and even in death, if I live, I get to, I get to, to carry out Jesus' will for my life. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. 
I wonder if you and I have that same fear or, or that same idea of saying, no matter what happens in the most extreme circumstances, Jesus will be glorified with my life, no matter what. And if there's ever a time for us to, to reflect on some of those things, it's after those kind of tragedies where we look and we say, man, life is so short. And so many of the things that we put so much time and effort and energy into, what really matters? Like what, what really actually matters? Like what's really actually significant? And I know whenever we're young, it's hard to think about that. But these are times where we should be willing to reflect and say, even in life, even in death, I want it to be said that Jesus will be glorified in my life. We need to have that same mentality to say, even in life, even in death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happens to me, regardless of where you take me, whether it be too little or too much, Jesus is enough for me. Even in my doubts, even in my seasons of doubt and in suffering, here's what I know that the schemes of the enemy cannot take away the eternal significance that I have in the finished work of Jesus. So whether it be in life or whether it be in death, I know that I have a centered and a foundation of Jesus, knowing that life or death cannot take that away from me. So in life, I will rejoice that I'm with Jesus. In death, I will rejoice knowing that I get to go be with Jesus. So I can celebrate wherever I am knowing that my eternal value is locked in, secured in a person of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to build my life on because it will last me in eternity. I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for what I can do on this earth. I'm living for what Jesus did for me so that I know that this earth is just a passing vapor. It'll be over before we know it. And so you and I have, have the potential and the opportunity to live for something that's so much bigger than us right now. As teenagers, as young people, we have the opportunity to look life in the face right now and say, listen, I'm not going to be here for an extremely long time, but here's what I know. Here's what I know is that if I lock in and I say, God, I want to see how I can make a difference right now where I am, I will make the kind of impact that will ripple on for eternity. Not just ripple on until the ends of the earth, but will rip on in, ripple on into eternity that will last into eternity. So I'm going to go back to my bottom line. Your faith will be elevated to another level when you believe God is ready and willing to move exactly where you are. One more time. Your faith will be elevated to another level when you believe God is ready and willing to move exactly where you are. Listen, whether you're in a season of plenty or you're in a season of little, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is ready and willing to move with you in this season right now exactly where you are. He's not waiting on things to just change around you. He's ready and he's just waiting on you to lean into this moment. So if you would, we're going to pray here in a second. But as we leave this place, I just wonder what it would look like for you to lean in and look around and say, God, how would you start to move in my circumstances right now? Whether I be in prison or I feel like I'm free wherever, God, how could you move in my life today? Pray with me. God, thank you so much for just the impact that you've made through this series. God, I pray, thank you so much for the life of Paul and the example that he set to say, Lord, whether it be in life or in death, I know I can rejoice in you. I know that I can, I can find joy in you. I know that I can find freedom in you. I know I can find purpose in you. And Lord, I pray that we would say the same about our own lives. Lord, um, be with us for the rest of this evening. Be with us the rest of this service. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.